Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent as it relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has the two different meanings in the business world, and this show looks to really explore those as best we can. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from industries from all around the world. While I'm out at networking events, industry conferences, and roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I thought, let's create a show, let you listen on our dialogue, and learn some practical advice that will hopefully impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet them to at PeopleG2, add the hashtag uh, TalentTalk, and my producer Mike will try to feed me the best questions and maybe even stump one of our guests today. Don't forget, you can also listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes and Android, as well as subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. I think we're just over 5,400 subscribers in just, a, what, four months now, Mike? And uh, we're very proud of that. With that said, let's get the show started today. My guests uh, today are Jamie Latiano, Vice President of Human Resources at Talus Avionics, and Amelia Stevenson, President of Eventex. Amelia will join me in the second half of the show. So let's welcome our first guest, Jamie. Welcome and thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm happy to be here. So tell us about yourself and, of course, about the company you're working for. So as you mentioned, I'm currently the Vice President of Human Resources for Talus Avionics here in Irvine. Um, I also serve as the current president for the National Human Resources Association here in Orange County. Um, Talus, for those who aren't aware, uh, we're a large French-based organization. We have um, almost 70,000 employees globally. Here in Irvine, uh, we specialize in in-flight entertainment um, of our 1,000 employees that are here, about 450 of them are engineers, and they're doing really exciting work to design and deliver leading in-flight entertainment and connectivity systems. Uh, we're also growing substantially, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we get into some of these questions. Well, great. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that uh, TELUS is, Avionics is a large global company. I think he's, what, 67,000 or you know, nearing that 70,000 employee mark worldwide. So, that kind of makes you put you into a, a strategic player role in continuing success of the company. What do you view as your most challenging role as the VP of HR? For us right now, uh, the stage that we're in is we're growing substantially. Our business has actually tripled in size in the last four to five years. And with that, 
we are transforming um, at the same time that we're growing. So we not only need to serve kind of the operational needs, which aren't as exciting and strategic, but we need to deliver both to our employees and our customers. Mm -hmm. And then we want to be talking strategically about where are we going down the line. And so at the same time, we're kind of trying to transform and um, identify the skills that we need to get where we're going to go in the future as well as deliver today. So you think the the transformation component was really going to bring you the most challenge? I think the biggest challenge is that you're trying to deliver operationally, but you mm-hmm. also have to make sure that you leave space uh, to have those very strategic discussions and, you know, be coaching our leadership team to not get too sucked into the day to day, which is easy to do. Um, but we need that brain space to make sure that we're thinking down the line. Right. So a lot of the guests that we've had in the show, especially those that uh, are in the really heading up their HR departments within their companies are generally talking about strengthening their company by hiring top talent uh, into those really key positions first. So what do you do to ensure that you're grabbing top talent to help your company thrive? I'm really excited, actually. Being at, at Talos is a great opportunity to bring in people who want to develop careers. More than any company I've been with, we're really committed to the professional development of people for the long term. So sometimes we like to say, you know, have your 10 careers with us, meaning you can come in right out of school. You can develop, you can start as an engineer, you can go into program management, you can go into different functions, you can go into different businesses. Not only are we in avionics, but we're in defense in communications, transportation. So we, you know, offer people the opportunity to have totally different experiences and grow their lifetime of a career with us. Uh, So that's really exciting. But, you know, the competition for talent really is a key topic for us. We partner heavily with uh, some of the leading universities, such as UCI. We encourage our executive team to be present in the community, kind of build those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think like most companies, we continue to work on our you know, value proposition. So why would you want to come work for us? Right. Now, you you, you just mentioned uh, kind of this idea of having your 10 careers within one company. And that, do you think that's kind of a dying experience for a lot of companies? I feel like uh, people bring in a certain person for a particular position with a particular idea. And if they grow out of that, they tend to leave and go on another company. Uh, and m- maybe that's something culturally, or maybe that's just something unique with with a talus to maybe you can expand on that. Yeah. I think that, um, most people don't necessarily expect that and most companies aren't able to offer it. Um, part of it is a bit cultural. We are a French based organization and people don't move as much, um, there. They tend to stay with companies uh, like us. We're the number two employer in France. So people want to stay with us. Um, however, um, we need to really show that commitment. And so some of that is proactively developing people, giving them opportunities to have those cross-functional experiences or work internationally, have greater mobility than really any organization I've been at. So we really walk the talk. It's not just kind of out there, something that somebody might get get the opportunity to have when you, you know, walk into our office, you hear different languages. You, you can talk to people who have had those different experiences, whether it's different functions, different geographic locations, different business units. So it's really lived, which I think is different than some other organizations. And not everybody would want that, but I think for those who do, we really do offer it. You know, I don't don't know if you've ever seen that uh, RSA video that went really viral and it was kind of really impactful. Like we have it on our, on our website in our career section because it really kind of identifies kind of what we're about, but they talk about three things and it's mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And that mastery component is really big that companies don't offer people the ability to really master something 
sometimes you can't master something at your company. You may need to give them an opportunity to master something else outside of the company just to stay happy. But it sounds like that in a way is what you're offering is this way to come in and master something, to learn something, and then have an opportunity to learn something else in another department or another area that may then lead to their development and keeping that talent inside your organization. You know, that's exactly I, right. I think a lot of companies don't do that. They would rather just go and pick people off from other companies, not knowing whether or not they're going to fit culturally, uh, not not culturally from a country to country standpoint, but internally from a you know just your own company's culture, and whether or not they're going to be the right person. We're really looking um, at you know hiring for behavior and attitude and training for skill. I mean, obviously you need to have technical aptitude for whatever role you're coming into. But as we look to drive culture shifts within our company as we grow, um, it's really looking for that right, as you mentioned, kind of cultural behavioral mm-hmm. fit. People who um, are resourceful, who want to learn new things, who kind of have a, I can do that attitude, right. um, because we provide the resources and the opportunities. So if you have that approach, you can be very, very successful and really leverage the opportunities that TELUS presents. Especially if you're bringing them in early on and you can see if with smaller, less risky tasks for the company, if they're saying I can, I can do that and they are doing it, then it's fine. If they say I can do it, there are people that say they can do it every time and they, they can't. But um, you can you can see those wins and losses very early on. Yeah, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, shifting gears a little bit, I know you are uh, a faculty member over at Webster University. I think, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a year ago or half a year ago, I came and spoke at your class, um, which was really fun. So this is obviously allows you to take your own experience and share it with other people. What are some of the keys that you teach when it comes to, to management of human capital? So I'm really fortunate uh, to help influence you know future leaders there over at Webster. And some of the things that we talk about is really being a business person first. So some of the students are MBA students and others mm-hmm. are more like organizational, you know, master's programs, organizational effectiveness, those kinds of things. The message is you need to be a business person. You need to understand the different levers that any business can can use to be successful and you know then you need to be able to understand the specific business that you're working in so that's typically that business and financial acumen is usually my primary message the toolbox that you build that's specific to kind of the hr function is really where you come in as the hr or people expert to help leverage the different things within that specific business that are needed at the time of wherever that business is so those are really the messages that i have i'm People like you, I really appreciated you coming to the class. Um, I bring in guest speakers. That's really the approach that I take because I like to give real-world examples. You know, we can all read a textbook, and, and those are important things to know. Mm-hmm. But it's how does it get applied because HR is something that I believe is really learned through experience. You can take two situations that may, on the surface, appear to be the same, and, and they're definitely not the same. So you need to right. have a strong toolbox that you build through experience that you can then pull out at the right time. Well, I think you're... Uh... Your students probably really appreciate the approach that you take because I know I've always found it most appealing in an environment to learn when your your teacher, whoever it is, is bringing in other people as well. They're not just saying, well, so-and-so thinks it. They're saying, here is this person. Let's digest what they have to say. Let's talk about it. Let's let's explore that instead of this is what I think as your teacher over and over and over and over again. It's one thought and one mind, and and they may be the smartest person out there, but it's still only one perspective and one thought process. And sometimes hearing different opinions, even if they're completely wrong, <laughs> gives you enough perspective 
to, th- to really solidify what you think is important and how you would approach something. It gives the opportunities for some really great dialogue, too, because mm-hmm. most of the students are working professionals. Um, so they have live experiences that they take their learnings back to um, or experience that they bring into the classroom. So when you combine that with what they bring as well Mm -hmm. as what, you know, sometimes the guest speakers bring, you can learn more that, you know, than I could have even planned as kind of the instructor, right? Right, right. (laughs) You get the right people in there. They have the opportunity to grow. Now that they're there, how do you think you get the most out of them? I mean, if if they're able to do, if we quantify a number, right? If they're able to do 100, how do you get them to do 100 when maybe the average person is doing 85? What's your secret here to that? Well, I, you know, I wish I got it perfect all the time. Um, some of it is, <laughs> is definitely getting the right people uh, on the team. I mean, that's mm-hmm. definitely the first part. Um, we talked a little bit about hiring for attitude, training for skill. To me, um, attitude is number one. If people are trying to do their best, they're usually going to do better than if, if they right. d- don't care. You know, if you talk to my team, they'd probably say that, you know, my approach is really about setting the vision, trying to provide the support as needed, and then really working to get out of the way so that they can shine. Because I think people do best when they, you know, when they're trying to do the right thing, and then they have the ability to kind of bring their own innovation and creativity to, to their work, they'll probably make it better than if I said, do X, Y, and Z. So that's usually my approach. I think I need to write a book that says, get out of the way and let them shine. Because I think almost every person who's at HR in our title, but on this show, has said something to that effect or those exact words is let them have that opportunity to really shine and show that they've done a great job. And that really seems to facilitate continued growth, continued um, achievement within the company. Yeah, it's it's like being there kind of in the back, just buffering them or course correcting as needed mm-hmm. so that they feel supported, not just kind of out flailing on their own. But at the same time, they're driving and they get to achieve the success and they feel supported as they do that. And that's kind of the one of the secret roles of HR that you know people don't know. I think they bring in HR to to fill out paperwork or to make sure that we don't get sued. Or, but there's this kind of other little, I don't want to say darker, but in the shadows role of of what you're doing to really help the company drive its goals through its people. Yeah, a lot of coaching, um, kind of influencing, but like you said, in the back end, more through coaching, mm-hmm. um, encouraging kind of those the the thought, the strategic thinking, um, asking good questions. Uh, you know, some of those, if you really can master those skills, I think you can really influence an organization and, and the leadership team to bring the best to the organization. So I'm sure you've seen HR really transform from a very transactional role into this more strategic role that we're talking about. So how do you really ensure that HR strategy is understood and implemented in the overall business objectives of the company? It's really challenging. I I think we've all seen um, that move take place. And I I think if you asked a bunch of HR professionals, you'd hear that each organization is kind of at a different place in that transition. At Talus, we're really fortunate. We're valued as strategic leaders. Yet at the same time, there are some challenges that we have operationally. Um, and if that's not happening right, they don't really want to value kind of the strategic thought that you're bringing to the organization. So it, it really is that fine balance. And then the other part is is we talked about finding the right skills. So if you have uh, an HR team that was built on the paperwork side or mm-hmm. some of the more tactical side, they may or may not have the ability to really influence strategic thought and be a leader in the business. Yeah. So you have to be honest about that. I mean, there, the operational and tactical stuff still has to get done, so there's a place for that. I think what 
I'm seeing within Talos and within other organizations that uh, I'm affiliated with is people are working to better identify their HR model. And be, not everybody's going to be a strategic HR business partner, right? And you don't need 20 of them, depending on the size of the organization, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you might just need one. And the other stuff just has to happen and has to execute flawlessly. So as you design those models, um, it gets better. And then you're able to communicate within the, the organization. My experience is they really see that through results. So you can tell them what the vision is. And that's certainly what we're working to do now. But they'll fully get engaged with it as they see the results. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. And one of my first real kind of big jobs out of college, um, they had HR locked up in a room with accounting that was behind a door that no one could get in unless you had like a key, like only like five people had a key to get into this room. Right. (laughs) And then maybe a few months before I ended up leaving that company for another one, I remember them saying, well, why isn't HR doing more to... They were having they were having kind of a customer service problem, and why are they doing more to help them with that? And it was like, you know, you have them locked away in a room, right, just doing paperwork. Essentially, they're bookkeepers, and they have no interaction with staff at all, no interaction with 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 uh, management or the people that are managing those people. And it was amazing when they actually pulled those people out and put them in a different place and gave them that opportunity. They had to bring in some other people, like you said, they need to have the skills to do that. But changing from tactical to strategic. Huge impact. It is huge. You know, one of the things that's been really rewarding, um, I've only been at Talos since the end of March, um, and we've rebuilt the HR team in that time. And one of the things that was extremely rewarding was we had a a meeting with um, some of our operational floor uh, employees, and it was with me and the CEO and very just informal kind of conversation. And after the event was over, one of the women came up to me and she said, you know, Jamie, since you and your team have been here, we actually feel like valued employees who are wanted here. And I almost lost it because, you know, (laughs) you don't get those kinds of feedback typically, you know, and certainly in a survey, you don't get that feedback. But the fact that she took the initiative to come up made me feel like, okay, we're doing something right, right? There's plenty of stuff that isn't perfect and I'm not tooting our own horn. But when you get one of those days, kind of makes makes up for those that aren't perfect. So it was really good. good moment yeah so you know who has had the greatest impact uh or maybe what but probably a who uh, on your own personal leadership development i consider myself really fortunate in this area Um, i've had mentors really throughout my career that have just taken the time to share feedback their experiences and kind of be there as a sounding board um you know, now I, I serve as the president for the NHRA here in Orange County. And one of our biggest benefits to members is to kind of is to provide that access to people who, whether it's formally or informally, can be that kind of mentor. So for me, you know, I think about Joan Clark, who's at Parker Hannafin or or Robin Tingley, who's here at Ingram Micro. They've both been extremely influential in my career. Um, and you know, not for any, out of any obligation, right? They just are committed to helping other people uh, achieve and be successful. And so I feel like it's, it's a great opportunity for us as HR leaders to kind of give back to those who are now coming up through our profession. And, um, it's really exciting to be part of an organization that's pretty committed to that. So before you were the rock star HR person, there must have been something that maybe you weren't good at that you felt like you had to work at and really, develop within yourself to be the right person for an organization. Well, I appreciate the rock star comment, but right. I think we're always... This is a compliment before I hit you over the head, right, you admit right. what you didn't do good. Yeah, <laughs> I, That would be here a really long time, Chris. I, you know, I think that, you know, we're always continuing to improve our skills. Um, 
one of the things that was kind of just a pain point in my in my career as I grew was the change from being a really strong individual contributor mm-hmm. um, to really becoming that strong leader. And it wasn't because of lack of intention or any anything like that, but you really have to kind of change how you, what's how you define success, right? As you now become the leader of a team, right? So for me, just the awareness of that, I did have a strong mentor, as I mentioned before, who really said, you know, I, I, I see what you're trying to do, but what if you approached it this way? And it just was like light bulb moments for me. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, really learning how to leverage each individual strengths and just build trust that, look, I'm here for your success. Your success is my success. And taking the time to have those kinds of conversations and not assume that it's understood. Um, so those, you know, that was a kind of a great learning curve for me. Um, and it also taught me a lesson about really having coaches, both personally and professionally, um, because they can help you see what you might not otherwise. So, or, or at least make you have to talk about it, right? Yeah. And force you to, to work through it, even if you know it's an issue. Well, and give you some, you know, things to think about mm-hmm. so that you can kind of see your way out of it, right? right. And so I value that and I, I, I have it today. So I'm sure that, uh, through that process of trying to develop and the mentors that you had, uh, for a lot of people, finding your own path through your own education is, is another component. So I, one of the, our favorite things to ask on this show, because we get such a myriad of completely random answers, and we, we've really enjoyed it so far, is what are you reading right now? Ah, well, um, <laughs> I'm reading a book called Daring Greatly by Bryn Brown. Um, it was re- recommended to me, actually, by by Joan, who was one of my mentors, Um the author talks about kind of creating a new vision and encouraging people to dare greatly. And with that, they really teach you to embrace your vulnerability and imperfection and to actively engage in your lives with courage. Very inspirational. I think a lot of us, whether consciously or unconsciously, live with a certain amount of fear that can impact your decision making. Mm-hmm. It can impact um, leadership, relationships, all kinds of things, how you know how you engage in your life. And so I'm only about halfway through the book, but it's really hitting some big points for me, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've had a few people mention that book recently. I don't know if it was someone on the show or not, but I definitely, I was at a uh, the L.A. Tech uh, show, and someone was I was sitting next to was actually reading it in between things, and so it, it must be kind of making its round. That'd be a good one to, to yeah. add to my list, my very long, long list of great <laughs> books I need to read. You'll love it. It catches yeah. you right away. Some of these, for, you know, for me, I read a few pages and put them down, but this right. one's hard to put down. I think that's the number one thing of writing a good book is making sure that the first chapter is really good. <laughs> Because I know so many people that start a book eh, and then they put it down, and even though they, all the great stuff's at the end, yes, it's almost that there's a whole change in the content uh, philosophy. Is give all your best stuff away for free, give it up front, and then everything else later on. Maybe we should just start reading the last chapter instead. Then. I used to do that in school. <laughs> I always wanted to know what happened first, and it kind of helped me. I think it helped like train my investigative type mind that I would read what happened at the end, so that then I was picking up where the clues on the way there that I should be seeing, knowing what the ending is. I think that's good. Yeah, that I was just too impatient to wait. I just had to know. I don't know. (laughs) I'll try it with my (laughs) 12-year-old. So we have just about a minute here. What what advice might you give our listeners looking to develop that they have personally? You you talked about some good things of mentoring, uh, books, uh, development. How do they really get the best maybe out of themselves? Do you have have any additional points there? You know, I think that uh, one of the things that's just been um, 
a big impact to me has been developing a network. And everybody can do that in ways that uh, resonates for them. There's not a right or a wrong way. But getting involved in professional organizations, uh, getting involved... Um, you know, in continuous learning, whatever those opportunities are to then build actual relationships uh, with people that you can then call upon when things come up. Because, you know, you want to not only help and contribute back into the community, but continue to grow and kind of sharpen your tool. And to me, that having a kind of an outward view and not just get really myopic with your own organization or career or whatever it is that you're working on, if you can build a true network that have real relationships in it. I think that's one of the most valuable things that we can have. Yeah, so there's a really cool grid, and unfortunately, me on the radio, we really can't show that to everybody, but there's kind of like four squares, and I I remember correctly, one is, you know, people that you don't, you don't know that don't know you, or they don't need you, right? They don't need each other. And there's people that don't need you, but you know them. Those are your friends, right? (laughs) And the other one that's really important is that people who don't know each other, but need each other. Yes. And that's where you find the most luck, the most... In networks, if you're looking to build a network, don't go where your friends are. Don't go where people who don't need who don't, don't need you and you don't need them. A lot of people spend a lot of time going to networking events where there is nothing for either party or nothing for both parties together. Well, and I, I think the key is also to think big, right? I mean, you may or may not. You don't want to go out and network when you need it, right? You want to network ongoing and build meaningful relationships. Right. Uh, And then who knows what may come down the line, right? People see right through that when you walk in the door. Oh, so insincere. And here's my business card. And now, you know, how many do you get? Where's the trash, right? Right. (laughs) Well, before we finish up here, uh, the last question I had for you is if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about Talus, what's the best way to do that? So probably the best thing is I'm on LinkedIn, Jamie Latiano, um, and our website is www.talesgroup.com. Jamie, thank you so much for being a guest today on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It was a pleasure having you. Hopefully you can come back and give us an update in the future on how you're doing. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, Chris. Amelia Stevenson is coming up next after we take a quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything, your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And now back to Chris and his next guest. 
Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to many of our past exciting shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. In the short time the show has existed, we've already amassed a huge following, and we are very, very proud of that, so thank you. My next guest is Amelia Stevenson, president of eVentex. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now to Amelia by sending them to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk. Amelia, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? Doing well. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background and how you started the company, eVentex. Well, I really appreciate you having me on the air. Um, you know, it's it's always wonderful to talk about yourself to anybody, right? So right, right. A little bit about, uh, right, exactly. So a little bit about me growing up. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey on the shore, and um, I'm sure many of you who know the Jersey Shore changed after Hurricane Sandy, and mm-hmm. that's where, that was my Well, at first it changed after uh, the Jersey Shore show came out, and then it changed with with the hurricane, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That is so true. Exactly. So I had a great, wonderful childhood on the beach. I went to great schools. I went to Monmouth University for undergrad and got a, a psychology degree background and then went on to graduate school to Fairleigh Dickinson University in Madison, New Jersey and got industrial psych master's degree there and just absolutely loved the schools in New Jersey. And I always knew I'd want to be in psychology in some form or fashion and I've been in this business now in um, industrial psych and now running my own business, Eventex, for the last 30-plus years. And uh, I've never looked back. I've loved every minute of it. Um, So in looking at that, I also worked in senior-level HR positions over the course of my career and uh, grew in the hospitality industry, which was fabulous. And then in 2000, I left a senior VP role to work with a large steel manufacturer out of Dallas, Texas. And what they were doing at that time, if we remember, the dot-coms were in full force, and there was a lot of effort and and excitement around dot-coms. So I went to the steel manufacturer and became a division, grew a division for them in the executive search line. And so my function was really hiring executive search people to work in the dot-com arena. And after about 18 months, the dot-coms went away and the organization came to me. I created the whole company and the logo and everything, and the company came to me and said, well, we're going to do away with um, the organization that you created because the dot-coms fell apart. And I said, well, I'm going to buy this company and I'm going to manage it myself. So what I did is negotiated with the attorneys and bought Eventex, and so I've never looked back from there. I've always wanted to run my own business, and this was an opportunity that fell on my lap, you know? So I did that, and then in January of the following year, my husband Craig joined me, and we grew Eventex um, very successfully. We had many, many people working for us. We were all over California and many different states across the country. We even went to England once, went to Hawaii, uh, not for vacation, but to work with clients. You know, today we offer the same services we offered since 2002, a full-service human resource consulting company, where we outsource HR. Uh, That's our core competency. We work with organizations on compliance-related services, 
especially in California, it's, it's a very interesting state with respect to human resources, and we provide a great service to our organizations to help them through the employee landscape in California. And, of course, we have to be familiar with other states as well because our clients are in a variety of different states. And then leadership training is a big uh, service for us. Um, assessment tools is something that we partner on, so we can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Yeah. That's so, so when you decided to buy the, the company and, and keep that going, um, you know, what was it you felt that um, companies really needed from you? What was it that, that was missing out there that you felt like you were going to be filling in for them? Well, initially... It wasn't that I wanted to start a business to fill the need of organizations, but quite frankly, I was looking around. When I was inside uh, as the VP of an organization, I was looking around for some assistance, and there really wasn't the services that I wanted to obtain. But that's not the main reason why I started Eventex or was given the opportunity to create Eventex and then run it myself. I had two small children at the time. And when I really think back during that time, I was a woman who was working in corporate America and who was working, you know, 50-hour weeks. I was traveling an awful lot. Um, When I was in corporate America, I never saw my children. I was never home. We had au pairs raising our kids. And as much as I wanted to be the executive, and that's what I trained for, and that's what I wanted to do, when I finally got there, Chris, I realized, is this all there is? I mean, I'm missing out on my children's upbringing, mm-hmm. and I'm missing out on their lives. So I made a conscious decision to find an organization or to create my own business, which I did, that would provide me that flexibility where I would be home with the kids. And I would be able to create my own schedule. And I did that. But I'm, I'm a very, you know, results-driven individual, and uh, so is my husband, Craig. So we grew this business very successfully, successfully. But even though we were very busy and we wanted to achieve what we did, we still had time to create that structure and that schedule so I could be the president of basketball when my daughter was playing basketball. My my husband could be very much involved in soccer with our son, and I was very involved in our high school. I became booster president of the high school that my kids went to. And so I have absolutely no regrets looking back on it now. Now the kids are out of the house, right? We're empty nesters. Even with that said, I have no regrets whatsoever in doing what I did uh, because I still satisfied my career, I was still was very successful, but I also had the control to be with my children. And now, but on the on the business side, 13 and a half years later, and that's how long I've owned Eventex, I do see such a value HR outsourcing plays inside organizations because the HR role is always changing. And today, for example, I was on a I was on an hour call in California listening to the new updated laws that are going to impact the workplace in California in January. Every year this happens. Every year we have to tweak our policies and procedures. Every year we have to ch- um, coach our CEOs and our HR folks 
and our COOs and our CFOs who are managing the HR function if it's a small company about the pitfalls and the compliance issues and, and to be to ensure that they comply with these issues. So when so, you talk to the C-suite no. uh, and senior level leaders within these organizations that you work with, do you sense that they they take HR as a vital role to their strategic direction, or do you think that this is still new to them? You know, I, it depends. That's how I answer that one. It depends on who's at the top. And it doesn't matter how large or small the company is. It really doesn't. What matters is senior leadership really embracing human resources, really valuing the role that HR plays inside a company and the um, the coaching that can take place for the CEO to ensure that they're running a well-run machine and that they're treating their employees equally, that they're engaging their workforce, that they're training their leadership to be the best leaders inside that company. Because, Chris, the number one reason, and this is a SHRM statistic, the number one reason why employees turn over in organizations is because of their leaders. It's not because of money. It's not because of the work environment. It's not because of how far they are to drive to the workplace or not. It's because of their leaders. And so whenever we have to go inside organizations and look at high turnover or leadership development, we always start with our leadership. Do you think that's how you you get in the door? Is that why companies come to you? I mean, they may not realize it, but is it ultimately a, a leadership problem that brings them to a point that they need to bring in a company like yours to help them solve the problem? The main reason why the employee, the employers in California reach out to me, the majority of the reason is because they've already been sued or they have a very complicated HR issue that they're dealing with. And they never thought they'd have to call on an outsourced company to help them. So I really get in there and I add value initially by knowing the basics, by helping them through these really complicated legal issues. From there, and that's what we have eBasic HR, which is that annual agreement that we offer companies. But from there, then they see the credibility and the value that Eventex brings and that's when we get into more strategic dialogue. That's when we can talk about, you know, 360s for our leaders so that we can train them appropriately and understand the gaps that they have inside their leadership style so that we can improve the organization and the communication. But that's not how we initially, usually that's not how we initially get in front of a client. It's usually because of some compliance-related issue. One of the other things that your company does is assessment testing, right? Yeah. So what do you see from companies that are doing well to assess their talent? And maybe also, conversely, what are they doing poorly? Well, as I said earlier, uh, the 360 is a vital tool that can be used to help develop leadership. And I see organizations offering more and more 360 development assessments now that the economy is improving now that you know there's more uh, consumer confidence out there and and companies are starting to spend a little bit more money they're starting to see their employees possibly leaving organizations because they've been the employees have been waiting to leave because of the economy right so now that the employees have an opportunity to leave 
they need to really clean the clean their house and really get their house in order to retain good talent and to build their leadership skills. And so the 360 is a wonderful assessment for the leadership skills. The other assessments that I offer are used in pre-employment and post-employment. And the, the, the Profile XT is a great one to consider because it looks at three different aspects of an employee, their thinking style, their occupational interest, and their behavioral characteristics. And what we do is we fit the best fit candidates inside a company based on the benchmark of this Profile XT. So we can determine from the analysis people that are going to be most successful in specific jobs, and we can also run succession planning reports against the results from this employee to ensure that we find other ways to keep them in the company and interested and loyal to the organization by developing their skills, which is a great way to keep um, employee retention, to develop their skills. So that's where I see organizations are embracing assessments more and more, particularly after the downturn in the economy. So do you think that's part of, of what companies have to do to help them really maintain top talent, is to make sure that they're getting top talent to begin with? Well, to find top talent and to find the best people for an organization, assessments is a great way to measure that. But certainly putting a lot of effort on the front end so that you find the right person for the organization. Because I've always said that if you hire quickly or if you hire someone that is not the best fit for an organization, you in the long term possibly may have employee relation issues. Mm -hmm. so you want to do so much up front before you get them hired. And your services in conjunction with my services should be really looked at very closely because that will determine, you know, a good candidate. Did they meet all the qualifications? Did they pass the drug test? Did they do the assessment tool? You know, mm -hmm. are they the right fit for the organization? It's, it's not just the skills and abilities of a person today. It's a well-rounded total person that we have to look at. And if employers spend more time on the front end there, they're going to be much happier on the back end when they do not have a lot of employee relation issues. So they don't have to call me and ask how they need to fire Joe, Sally, or Mary because it's very complicated. Right. You know, looking in your, into your past, uh, certainly you gave us some great perspective on, you know, some of the things that you were doing and, and how you end up with the company. But maybe even prior to that, who do you think had the greatest impact on your own professional development? I think, honestly, I've had wonderful mentors throughout my career. I've had very, very smart CEOs that I worked for. And from a business perspective, they've really helped me to understand the kind of person that I am inside a business. However, my biggest inspiration, I think, if you really boil it all down, is my husband, Craig, because he's allowed me to follow my dream, and even he's come along with me. I mean, he and I ran Eventex together for years before the downturn happened, and 
he's been on the journey with me. Mm-hmm. And he's my best friend and my mentor and my inspiration. You know, he all, always believes in me, and he has the confidence in my abilities. Sometimes in life, people are afraid to take risks, risks because they're afraid to fail. And, and that's a natural observation. And people may doubt themselves with the skills and abilities that they have, but they should somehow move through that so that they can actually see that they do have great skills and abilities for themselves and for their environment, whether it be working or some a hobby or some other situation that they are not feeling comfortable with. So I guess it would be my husband who's really inspired me the most. He's my he's my rock. So do you think you've changed as a leader over time? You know, through through all the different parts of your life that you described. Yes, I have. <laughs> and what 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 brought you know, about those changes? Well, it's funny when you look back on how a young, I was a young woman and I was uh, a personnel. They used to call us personnel directors, not human resource directors. I was very, very young as a personnel director, and I really did not know how to communicate successfully with employees. I followed people that I were around, and I was watching their um, styles of leadership, and sometimes they were very abrupt and and abusive and um, short with people, and so I thought that's the way young women had to be in the workplace. And so I, I, at very, very early on in my career, that's how I communicated. Mm-hmm. But I quickly learned that that is the worst thing you could possibly do. And so that really has changed for me over the years. I'm much more consensus builder and a collaborator. I, I want interaction. I need a team. Was that something you had to learn to do, or was that something that was more natural for you? It became natural. Yeah, it was natural. I think all I needed was a mentor to show me the way. And so many young people don't get that. They don't get to work for or work with mentors who really take them under their their wing and really help them. And I was very, very fortunate to be uh, mentored by a very talented woman early on in my career. And I still remember several many, many things that we've done together. I still reflect on how I was mentored because that's how I want to mentor other people. Well, I think some people don't um, don't accept it either. I mean, they, they may have the mentors there who are willing to help them, but they also had to be take that initiative to ask for help, to ask questions, right. and to be mm-hmm. open to being mentored. If you're closed-minded or if you're afraid that someone's going to figure out that you don't know have all the answers, um, which those of us figured out a long time ago we don't have all the answers and we need to start asking questions to find them out. But it, it's an interesting um, dynamic sometimes between those who need mentors and those who are willing to be mentors. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. So one of our favorite... Ventex, we've put in uh, a mentorship program inside some of our clients. So we talk about the mentor, we talked about the protege, and over time it becomes an exclusive club, and over time the, the protege actually becomes the mentor, and then you bring in other protege. So mm-hmm. 
it's a fascinating concept if employers are willing to open open up for and that really uh, helps in the retention of employees as well because once again you're giving back to the employee you're helping to groom them you're helping to grow their skills and abilities and it really shows the employee that you care about them and that goes back to that leadership skill employee um, leaders have to care about their employees they have to be transparent mm-hmm. oh yeah transparency is a big one so one of our favorite questions to ask our guest is what are you reading right now yeah <laughs> So I just finished reading the Patrick Lencioni, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Five Dysfunctions of a Team, that's right. And I have the book right here. It's fascinating because I'm going to be working with a group on team dynamics here in not-too-distant future. And, of course, when I read the... um, the, uh, it's a paradigm, or it's a pyramid, pyramid. And uh, the number one, the basis behind a dysfunction of a team is uh, lack of trust, right? And so if you don't have trust in an organization, if you don't have, uh, if those managers are not transparent, then you won't be willing to work together as a team. You won't be honest and open. And then you move up the pyramid to um, lack of of uh, conflict, lack lack of accountability, into the very end where you are in it for yourself versus the team. So it's your ego gets involved in being part of a team versus actually looking out for the best for the team. So it's a fascinating concept. So one of the, the items was trust. Do you remember any of the other ones that were? Yeah. Impactful? Yeah. Well, if, I was just going to say if you remembered another one, just one. We don't have to give away all of them for the whole oh, book. Oh, is. It's fear of conflict, lack of commitment, avoidance of accountability, and the inattention to results, which is the ego piece. Hmm. Okay. So there's five, five levels, and you go up each of the levels starting with trust, and then you move up to conf- fear of conflict. Because they, they honestly, Patrick Lencioni feels that conflict in a team is vital, healthy conflict. Right. Right, you need to have some competition, you need to have some disagreement, you need to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're, we're here just at the end of the show now, and I want to make sure that we ask you the one final important question is, yeah. is how, how can people reach you if they're interested in knowing more about uh, Eventex? We're in the Sacramento market in California, and our phone number is 916-458-5820. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for being my guest on the show today. I really appreciate you being here and, uh, and sharing your wisdom with us. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my uh, guests, Jamie Latiano and Amelia Stevenson. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2, to hear, well, I don't know if I'm going to say this one correctly, Shally Steckerel. There we go. I'm trying my best. President and founder and member of 4SCT and Jerry Justice, CEO of the Aspirations Institute. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping you with your people-related decisions.